This episode of Full Armor Radio is brought to you by CR101 Radio Network. CR101 Radio Network is a Christian reconstruction internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. We're also brought to you by GCS Apprenticeship Program, which is dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can own and operate successful and profitable Christian schools. You can learn more at cr101radio.com and gcsapprenticeship.com. And now to the show. Um, so the first text I want to look at is, uh, is Matthew chapter 5, and that's on page uh, 961 in those Bibles. 961. Matthew 5, 961. So this week so far, we've talked about some of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments are the summary of, of God's law. So we looked at the first day, the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other God before me, God says. Then we looked at the tenth commandment, which is, you shall not covet or you know, be discontent with what you have, but be thankful to God for what he's given to you. And today we're going to look at um, the seventh commandment, which is, you shall not commit adultery. We're going to talk about that here in this text. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery encompasses all types of sexual sins. And that's what we're going to see um, in this text here from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. So if you look at Matthew chapter 5, page 961, on the top right, there's verse 27. So we'll start there. This is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, that is, sin, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So what we learn in this text, this is really important, okay? What, what do people say? They look at the seventh commandment they say, okay, do not commit adultery. Okay, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't cheated on my spouse. So I've kept that commandment, people think. But Jesus throws that whole notion out and says, no, no, no. It's not simply your external actions, but it also cuts down into your thoughts. He says, if you look at someone with lustful intent, that's breaking the seventh commandment too. You see, God's commandments are not simply what we physically do, our actions. They also reach to our words, and they also reach to our thoughts. So when we talked about what is God's standard in terms of how good you have to be, you have to be perfect, okay? Which means that, that means you've never had an impure thought like what this describes. Now, of course, what's Jesus trying to do here? What is he doing? He's establishing that everybody has broken this commandment. See, everybody's broken all of the commandments. That's kind of the point, isn't it? 
he says, you know, in terms of application for a Christian of how to avoid these sins is that he uses this um, what's called hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pull your eye out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And that's not literal. He doesn't really mean, you know, hurt yourself like that. What he's saying is inconvenience yourself to basically no end to avoid, avoid sin. As, as inconvenient as it would be to cut your eye out or cut your arm off. He's saying do that to avoid sin. That's what a Christian should be doing in terms of a desire to avoid sin to please God. But what we've talked about this week is that being a, becoming forgiven of your sins and being saved by Jesus cannot be accomplished by you trying to be a better person. It cannot be accomplished by you trying to obey the law. The only way that you could go to heaven by obeying the law is if you were perfect, which means you can't be good enough to go to heaven. That means that all of your actions, all of your words, and all of your thoughts are completely pure and holy and righteous in the sight of God. I want you to understand that that's not true of you. That's not true of anybody. None of us are perfect in our thoughts, words, and actions. So I want to look at the second text. It's going to turn to the right in your Bible. It's to Luke chapter 7. This is page 1029. Well, we'll start. 1029. Luke chapter 7. Page 1029. We're going to start on verse 36. So that's kind of in the middle of the page on the right-hand column of page 1029. Verse 36. Okay, so this is a little um, narrative where Jesus is at somebody's house. We're going to read this this, uh, story. Okay? Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner... And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered them, Simon, that's the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. So this is what Jesus said. He says, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to pay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom we forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
This is a very, very, very important story and a very important lesson we need to learn from this. I need your attention on this. It's very important. So Jesus entered the house of a Pharisee. We've seen them before this week. If you haven't been here, Pharisees were religious leaders who taught things that were not true and were self-righteous, arrogant, and prideful people who looked down upon others. And that's what we see here with Simon the Pharisee as well. So they're people that look down upon others. So this guy, Simon, this Pharisee, invites Jesus to his house to have dinner. So this woman hears Jesus is in this house, and she goes to, to him. Now this woman is a sinner. Okay? I mean, she breaks the law. She has an immoral reputation. Okay? She's a sexually immoral person. This relates to the commandments. You should not commit adultery. Okay? She has a reputation. Simon knows who she is and what kind of woman she is. And Jesus did too. Okay? That's her reputation. She's an immoral and impure woman. So she comes to Jesus. And you'll notice that in this narrative, she doesn't say anything. There's no words recorded in the story. It's just about what, what, her, what her actions say. And her actions do indeed say a lot. So she comes before him and she falls at his feet. She's crying so many tears that they are wetting his feet. She's, she's cleaning off his feet with her hair. And then she's pouring perfume on his feet. Okay, so a little bit of context here. In this uh, culture and environment, a lot of people walked around uh, in sandals or even barefoot. And it's very dusty and dirt. So your, your feet are going to be covered in dirt when you walk around everywhere. So Jesus' feet would be covered in dirt. And it would be customary, it would be polite to, you know, let somebody come into your house to wash their feet and things like that. Now Simon the Pharisee didn't bother to do that. But what she's doing is she's doing something even much more humble is that she's crying tears. She's crying copious amounts of tears, a lot of tears, that would clean off his feet. Why is she so sad? Why is she so distraught in, in, in this way? Think about that as real. Think about that, the picture in your head. Here's a woman who's fallen, fallen off Jesus' feet. Even that itself, she's at his feet, is a humble uh, place to be. But more than that, she's crying. So many tears that they're falling on his feet. Then she's taking her hair and wiping his feet. That's extremely humble. And then she's honoring him by pouring perfume on his feet. Right? Honoring him. That's what she does. Pretty amazing thing to see. Why is she so sad? Why is she falling out? Because she knows the depths of her own sin. And we'll get to that in a minute. So Simon the Pharisee, this self-righteous um, teacher who taught wrong things and misunderstood God's word, he says to himself, if this Jesus were really a prophet, he wouldn't let such a dirty, sinful woman even touch him. And that's his attitude. So what's Jesus' response in verse 40? He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he, he know, knowing what Simon's thinking in his head, says, Simon, let me tell you a little story. There's a money lender, okay, somebody who lends out money. And he has two debtors, two guys owing money. One owes 500 denarii and the other 50. That's a unit of money. Okay? I'll, I'll modernize and Americanize this story. Let's say it's like this. Somebody owes, uh, one of the guys owes $50,000 and the other guy owes $50. Okay? This guy has two debtors. One guy owes him $50,000 the other guy owes him $50. So the money lender says, you know what, guys? I'm going to cancel your debt. I'm going to forgive your debt. You guys don't owe me anything. So one was forgiven fifty thousand, the other fifty dollars. So Jesus asked him, "Okay, which which one will be more thankful, the one who is forgiven fifty thousand, or the one who is forgiven fifty? 
And Simon, the simple answer, you know, I suppose, is that the one who is forgiven more. That makes sense, doesn't it? See, if, if, if uh, I owed somebody 50 bucks and they said, oh, don't worry about it, I'd say, I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. If I owed them $50,000, I wouldn't just say, hey, yeah, thank you. It'd be a much greater amount of thankfulness and love for them. Wow, you, you would forgive me that much money? You'd forgive me that big a debt? So what's he say? How does he apply this to Simon? He says, he's pointing toward the woman. He says to Simon, see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. To Simon, doesn't even bother with Jesus to even give him a a customary kindness to offer him some water. But she's offering something even much more humble and loving, her tears. He says, you gave me no kiss, which also would have been a customary greeting. But she, since, she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Again, honor and humility that she is giving to Jesus. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Again, a customary greeting to, or a customary thing to show honor to anoint someone's head with oil. But she anointed my feet with perfume, Jesus says. What's the big difference between the attitude of Simon and the attitude of sinful woman. Why is he acting aloof and saying, well, whatever, Jesus come on in here and doesn't bother to offer him anything or show him honor or love or thankfulness at all? And this woman, what's the difference between them? Well, the, little, the story, it's called Parable of the two, two Debtors, is meant to tell you what the difference is. The woman recognized her debt, her great amount of sin debt that she had against God. She recognized that she was in such a mountain of debt that there was no way that she could possibly possibly repay, right? But Simon thought, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad of a guy. He thought his debt was about $50 worth of debt, right? But she saw her debt as 50,000 or 50, you know, 50 million, something that was just so astronomical that she was so burdened by it, so grieved by her sin. She looked at herself and said, I am a nothing wretch who's broken God's law, who deserves nothing, but God's condemnation, but then she knows, I've heard of Jesus. And Jesus is in that house, I'm going to him. I'm gonna fall at his feet and cry at his feet and honor him and be thankful to him because I know, I've heard of him, I've heard who he is and what he's come to do. I know that he's a forgiver. I know that he forgives sins. And she was right. He says in verse 47, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, if she recognized how much she's, she's been forgiven, she honors Jesus with, with everything. She puts everything into her honoring him and loving him. But see, Simon didn't see himself as that big a sinner, so he didn't see himself in need of that much forgiveness. His debt, you know, 50 bucks. Thank you, appreciate it. Versus an astronomical debt that the woman felt. Now, were his sins really lesser? No. His debt, in reality, was just as big. But he didn't recognize it. So what does he need forgiveness for? He doesn't think that he really needs that much forgiveness. So he says to her, listen to this. Your sins have been forgiven. That's what Jesus says to this woman. Your sins have been forgiven. And the people around are saying, well, who is this man that he even forgives sins? That's actually a really good question. He says, your sins have been forgiven. And they're like, who is is this guy? It's Jesus who's forgiving sins. Because think about it. Can I forgive you of all your sins? Can I just say, you are forgiven? No, because ultimately, your sins are not against me. 
Can you forgive yourself of all your sins? No, because ultimately your sins are not against yourself. Now, can you sin against somebody else? Yes. Can you even sin against yourself? Yes. But ultimately, who are your sins against? They're against God. Which means who's the only one who can forgive your sins? God. Okay? So Jesus, being God, can absolve this woman. She can, he can say that your sins are forgiven. So who is this man? He's Jesus. He's truly God. He's truly man. who can forgive sins. Now here's the real key question. How is it that forgiveness of sins is accomplished? How is it Jesus can forgive sins? So I've told you that in order to go, in order to be accepted by God, you have to be perfect. I told you that. Jesus said that in Matthew 5, shortly after the text we read earlier. He says, you must therefore be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You've got to be as perfect as God if you want to go to heaven by being a good person. If you think you're a good boy or a good girl, you're going to go, go to heaven because you've done good. Um, you can't because you're not perfect. Okay? So how is it that somebody can be forgiven? What did Jesus do? Well, there's two things. I want to expound upon what we've talked about before. This is the whole thing. If you haven't been here, it's fine because I'm going to go over the whole thing anyway. There's two issues we have. Okay? One of them is that we're guilty. And since God is good, and since we are guilty of breaking his law, he must give justice, which means your sins will be punished. That's a guarantee. Your sins will be punished one way or another. So, if you trust in yourself and you think, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm trying to be good, and God says, okay, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, well, look at my life. I'll say, okay, let's look at your life. You're guilty. You've broken the law. Therefore, I have to give you justice. That's not what I want for you. And that's not what you should want. Jesus provides salvation in this way. Is that when he went to the cross, he went and died on the cross. He was crucified. But he wasn't simply facing torture by the hands of a Roman government. Roman, the Romans invented crucifixion where you nail somebody to a cross and hang them there until they die. That's not simply what was going on, though. Many people were killed that way under Roman rule. In fact, when Jesus was crucified, two other guys were being crucified next to him. What was unique about Jesus' crucifixion, though? It wasn't simply that he was suffering torture from the hands of people. The penalty that, for example, this woman, the sinful woman that was forgiven of her sins, the penalty that she deserved was being taken by Jesus instead. Because your sins will be punished. Her sins will be punished either on her or on Jesus. Those are the two options. So Jesus took the penalty in the place of the woman. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine, just pretend for a minute, that this book is a list of every sin that I've committed. Okay? In reality, it would be uh, too big to carry. Okay? A giant book, imagine, it's every sin I've ever committed. And say that this hand represents me. So as it stands naturally, I have all this guilt on me. Right? So if God judges me, if I stand before God in his courtroom and he sees me like this, I have a rap sheet of guilt law-breaking on my account, which means he has to bring justice, okay? This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want, right? This is not what I want for you either. What Jesus did, this hand represents Jesus. His death on the cross is like this. All my guilt is now put on him, and when God looked, God looked at him and judged him as if he were guilty of my sins, all of his people's sins, right? He was punished 
in their place. So now I don't have any guilt on my account anymore. My guilt's been transferred to Jesus, and he bore the penalty. So that's one half of what Jesus did. The other half is this. It's, it's kind of the inverse of it. I've said before, in order to be accepted by God, you have to be perfect. Okay? Jesus did keep the law perfectly. He kept the law perfectly. He's the only perfect man there ever was. Okay? Which is an amazing thing, considering every thought, word, and action in his entire life had to be totally pure. That's incredible. So he kept the law perfectly. So just like my guilt was transferred to him, his law keeping can be transferred to my account. It's kind of like if I earned a million dollars and then I transfer it to your bank account, you didn't earn any of that. But now it's on your account, right? That's kind of what it's like. Jesus earned perfect righteousness by keeping the law. And his righteousness can be transferred to your account so that you are clothed in righteousness. So naturally, you're a guilty sinner who deserves justice. And if God judges you with your guilt on you, he's going to have to give you justice in hell. But what Jesus did to solve that problem is that he's taken the penalty. So God no longer has anything to punish you for because he's already punished Jesus. And then more than that, when he sees you, he sees you as perfect. Not because you are perfect, not because you've kept the law, because Jesus has kept the law and transferred his righteousness to your account. All that righteousness he earns, he transfers to your account. It's like you're clothed in righteousness. So if you trust in Jesus, when God looks at you, what does he see? He no longer sees a guilty person who deserves justice. He actually sees a righteous person, a perfectly righteous person. Because of Jesus' righteousness transferred to your accounts and because your penalty has been paid on the cross, if you trust him. So then, therefore, what's the standard to be accepted by God? Perfection? It's been met now. Not by you, but by Jesus. His righteousness, his perfect righteousness transferred to you and your guilt transferred to him and paid for. God looks at you and says, you are righteous. Come on in. I accept you. Look at what Jesus says, the last verse here. He says to her, says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus is the Savior. But how is it that you personally, individually, can be forgiven of your sins? It's through the instruments of faith. It's through faith. So he says your faith has saved you. It's through trusting that what Jesus did will count for you. So you have to be like this woman who recognizes the massive amount of guilt that she has. And that massive amount of guilt drove her to flee to Christ. Because if, she, if she's looking at herself and saying, there's no righteousness here. God will not accept me. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. She flees to Christ. And what's he do? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith is saved. You go in peace. That's what he does. See, it says that God is, is merciful and gracious. And he abounds in steadfast love. And he, he gives grace to the humble. But it also says he opposes the proud. That's what we see in this, in this story. Simon being proud, self-righteous, doesn't see his need for Christ, doesn't see his guilt. But this woman, who has a bad reputation, who is notoriously sinful and impure, her sins are forgiven. He says, go in peace. You're no longer an enemy of God. You have peace with God now. And yet you can have peace in your soul as well, saying, I know that I'm accepted by God because of Christ. A perfect Jesus was a perfect substitute. So I have nothing to worry about. Because I know, because of what Jesus did, God will accept me. Does God the Father love Jesus? Yes, with a perfect love. 
But see, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Christ, he also loves you with the perfect love because he loves you as much as he loves his son because you are in him. You are clothed in his righteousness. In fact, the Bible says that once you're saved, you're adopted by God. You become his son or his daughter. And it says the Lord has compassion on his children, right? He loves his children, takes care of them, and forgives them of all their sins. But see, naturally, because of your sin, you're an enemy of God. But through Christ, by his righteousness, by his dying on the cross to take the penalty for sins, you can be reconciled to God and become one of his children, whereby your relationship to God is no longer an enemy, but now a loving relationship where he, where he loves you, takes care of you, and all your sins are forgiven. He'll accept you forever. So that's the good news. So remember from the story, what's a pre- prerequisite? What is something that's necessary before um, somebody is, is going to receive Christ, somebody's going to um, trust in him, is an acknowledgement of their own guilt, acknowledgement of their own debt. And see, that acknowledgement is going to show them, I'm, in such, I'm such a big sinner, I need a savior. I need a big savior, Jesus. And that's what this woman did. And she was forgiven, and Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for, for Christ, that he kept the law on behalf of his people, that he died to take the wrath of God on behalf of his people, and that he so lowly and compassionate to um, forgive people who, like us, who are wicked and immoral people by nature, that he was willing to, that he is willing to forgive and accept because of his work people who um, are just so, so impure and so ungodly, break, break your law. We thank you for your compassion towards us that we do not deserve, your mercy that we do not deserve, and your grace, your free gift of salvation that we could never earn. We praise you and we thank you for that. We pray that um, you'll bless the rest of our evening as we um, do a little memory work, as we hang out, play some games, and as we discuss later on. We ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen.